this morning, we actually are moving up our Y series one week because of next Sunday, which typically would have been our Y series Sunday, the last Sunday of the month. Since next Sunday, we're doing a special family program. We have bumped up our Y series to today. As you remember previously, at the end of February, we started our Y series, which was just basically a study through things that we do practically as Christians. We looked at why church and we saw how we go from being a how, you know, have to, to a need to, to a want to. And what's the role of the church and who is the head of the church, so on and so forth. And you can review that or catch up on that study by going to our website. But this morning, I'm very, very excited to be able to share this message, Why Worship? Why Worship? So in this second installment of our Why series, we'll be looking at another foundational aspect of practical Christianity, worship. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but worship is something that all mankind participates in, whether they're Christian or not. And I'm very confident that at the end of this message this morning, we will all have a very clear and biblical understanding of what it means to truly worship and a lifestyle and a lifestyle indicative of that understanding. So we'll all leave here this morning understanding what it truly means to worship, and that we'll be living a lifestyle that is indicative of that understanding. So in our second uh, study in our series, Why, we ask, why worship? If you're taking notes, point number one is, what is worship? What is worship? Worship is in the heart of every human being that has ever lived and will ever live. To worship is in the very DNA of our being. Now, notice that I didn't mention what was worshipped, just the fact that we need to worship. In Webster's Dictionary, worship is defined as this. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. End of quote. See, when we come into contact with some form of greatness, we're prone to worship and esteem that greatness. That was amazing. That is awe-inspiring. Whoa. Like that kind of interaction. This is such the case that in the fourth book of the Bible, in Deuteronomy, which is our key verse, we have one key verse with many supplemental verses this morning, but our main text is Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis, which is the beginning, the first book, then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Excuse me, I think I said the fourth book. It's actually the fifth book. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 19. Deuteronomy 4 verse 19. It says, the Lord speaking to Moses, and take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Now, I know some of you were still turning there. I could hear your pages turning and well done for bringing your Bible. Let's read it again. The Lord says to Moses, take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun... You see the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven. You feel driven to worship them, the sun, the moon, the stars, and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. 
Deuteronomy 4, verse 19, the first word I want to draw your attention to is see. In Hebrew, it's the word ra'ah. And if you can, you know, say the sound as ra'ah, you know, I, I have a hard time doing that. But basically it means look at, inspect, perceive, consider, or find out. When you look at these things and you wonder how they're in existence, you desire to find out. It says driven, nadak in Hebrew, to be driven towards, compelled. The third thing in there, worship, shaka. Some of you remember the, the band shaka that, that frequented Christian circles in this area and abroad. It means to bow down, prostrate, and prostrate oneself before. And it says, finally, serve, avad, in Hebrew, to work, labor, or make oneself a servant of. Now, for those of you that have been with us for some time, you're thinking, well, why are you quoting Hebrew? You always quote Greek. Well, what's different this time? Well, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And we have the same Old Testament that the Jewish people have. And it's written in Hebrew, and it was to the Hebrews. It was to the Jews. And so that's why when we look at the original language, we quote Hebrew. But he says you're driven to serve and to bow down before these things that are awe-aspiring. These things that you esteem greatly to serve them. So under point number one, which is what is worship, we see the Lord warning mankind, warning you and me, that we will see things and we will observe things and we will admire things and we will be prone to worship those things. So, under point one, we have the letter A, in understanding that worship is internal. Worship is intrinsic, meaning that the the desire to worship belongs to us by our very nature. Our very nature inside desires to worship. It's intrinsic. It's natural to be prone to worship. This is how we hear people say, now come on, I know for those of you that are athletes or like sports, you know, you would hear people say stuff like, uh, you're my idol, man. Or, you know, I've idolized that guy my whole life. I've looked up to them. I've admired them. I borderline worship them. If not, worship them. That's why Moses was told, take heed. Watch yourself that if you lift up your eyes to perceive something, that your heart doesn't go after that to worship. And from Deuteronomy 4.19, here's the progression. I look. Everyone pay attention. I look. I'm driven. I worship I serve. I look. I'm driven. I worship. I serve. Now this progression is such a phenomenon. See, where I focus is where I am going and whom I worship, I will serve. Where I'm focused, where I focus is where I am going and whom I worship, I will serve. And if you're not worshiping the true and living God, then by default, we will relocate our worship unto someone or something else. In Romans 1.25, Paul writes, reading from the New Living Translation, it says, they traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. See, this trading the truth for the lie is clearly the work of Satan. Having mankind shift its focal point of worship off of the God who created them, and in so doing, have them be driven to destruction by being enslaved to sin. Where man would focus, refocus, if you will, his 
energy. He would refocus his efforts onto something that God had created instead of the creator himself. We see the strategy play out in Matthew chapter 4. Satan tempting Jesus, verses 8 through 10. It says, again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and, key word, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Remember, the Lord warned Moses, you will look. Where is my focus? Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall serve the Lord your, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So let me tell you this very, very clearly. When Jesus was taken up on top of that exceedingly high mountain and saw everything that the world had to offer, this is exactly what was being hap- this is exactly what was happening here. This is, this is exactly what was being done. If you look to something apart from God, you are worshiping the devices of Satan. You are falling prey to his attacks. It could be anything. He showed Jesus everything. All of these things. The glory. All of the riches. All of the experience. All of the pleasure. Everything will be yours if you will bow down and worship me. And that's the same strategy that is used on us today. Turn your attention off of the one and true and living God and focus on everything else. Because where I focus, that's where I'm going. And what I worship, that will I serve. And that's exactly what happened here in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, bow down and worship me. And Jesus, using the word of God, said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Satan says, Look away from God and onto things that don't last. I will give you all of it if you bow down and worship me. Yet Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, worshiping is what we do. We worship. But who we worship is what we must do right. Worshiping is what we do, but who we worship is what we must do right. So point number one, what is worship? Subpoint letter A, worship is internal. It's built into us. We have a natural inclination to esteem, to admire, and to worship. Point number two, whom do we worship? We can worship anything, anyone, or any idea. Here in Irvine, we have a large Hindu population, and in Hinduism, they're estimated some 330 million different gods. Anything. I can worship, you know, this thing. This is, this is my God. I, I, I can, 330 million different gods. See, any object, any object of worship we may have apart from God is a step downward to a debased mind. Like the man who worshiped the forest, but then cut down what he worshiped. And with part of the tree, he built an add-on to his house. And with part of that same tree that he worshipped, he warmed his food on the stove. And with part of that tree, he carves it and makes an idol and starts praying to it. Most of the world, in some way, shape, or form, worships power, money, sex, possessions, pleasure. And all the things that I just listed are part of the previously mentioned progression. I look and see. I'm driven towards. I worship. I serve. 
But the unfortunate truth of worshiping someone or something other than God is that you will always be empty. You will always need more. And you will never have enough. Ultimately, you will find that your object of worship will control you, but never help you. That's why you, me, we need to know Jesus personally as our Lord and Savior. As Joshua was leading the people of Israel into the promised land and the the nation of Israel had conquered these evil countries who worship false gods, Joshua says, and if it seems evil to you, in Joshua 24, 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. So whom do we worship? It better be the true and living God or by default it will be serving a false god. See, that which you serve is that which you worship and that which you worship is that which will be the controlling force in your life. So this leads us to point number three, how do we worship? This would be our probably first major supporting text from John 4, verses 23 and 24. Jesus had met a woman in Samaria uh, at a well. The Samaritan woman, it is just, it's regularly called. Uh, Jesus, in his day and age, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. They had intermingled with the other uh, nations and, and, and thus had veered off of what the Jews in Jerusalem considered the, the pure line. And he's associating with this woman, and he's speaking to her there by this well, and she asks him some hot topics of the day, like, where do we worship? And uh, you Jews say it should be in Jerusalem, and we say here. And Jesus says, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is in spirit and in truth. And in order to connect to the true source and object of worship, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Period. For it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can have a true worship experience with God and be, furthermore, genuine worshipers. And the reason why I use that word genuine, because in the Greek, when Jesus says true worshipers, as he uses the word true to describe the type of worship that would be taking place, is the Greek word aletheinos. And it literally means, literally means that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In every respect, it's real, true, and genuine. I mean, it's the real thing. I mean, you can say you're a hardcore Los Angeles Lakers fan. But that's only when they're winning. So you haven't been one for a long time. And, and, and maybe like, man, go Lakers or whatever. But you never even wear Lakers gear, man. It's like you're wearing like Clippers thing, which is just like anathema. You can't wear Clippers stuff when you're a Lakers fan. What's going on? Oh, I'm a Lakers fan. And then it says... Uh, Yeah, CP3, Chris Paul, woo! You know, like, wait a second, man. Something's really not right here. We can say, I worship the Lord. I'm a true worshiper and whatever. But 
it doesn't mean that that's the genuine, real deal. True worshipers. Remember Webster's Dictionary, I read it. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth means honoring him with extravagant love and extreme submission. So how does honoring God with our love service, so to speak, translate into worship as a Christian? Well, I feel like now we're segueing into what the fun part is all about. How do we worship? If the Lord says, Jesus said, true worshipers will worship genuinely in spirit and in truth, well, we will now look at five particular conduits of worship that the Bible tells us that we should be genuine in participating in. Right off the bat, the emphasis in worship, on genuine worship, is on giving, not receiving. People can complain that worship is not very inspiring or the teaching is bland or the service is, well, well, I, I don't really know about the service. It didn't really serve me well this morning. We think mistakenly just because we call Sunday morning gatherings, Sunday morning services, that we're the ones being served instead of God. I'm going to go to the Sunday morning service where the people at Vision City Church serve me. No, that's completely wrong. That's not what it is. We are actually ministering unto the Lord. We come together in the Sunday morning worship time and service time so that we can offer our services and our praise and our worship unto the Lord. We don't come to church to be served. Ephesians 6, 7 says, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. I feel, I feel like that's a great motto. I do service, we do service unto the Lord and not unto man. We're here to worship the Lord and to praise the Lord. And so, under this third point, how do we worship? We see letter A, we worship the Lord through giving praise. Giving praise. When we as Christians think of worship, I don't know about you, but I know for me, the first thing that I think of or identify with, you know, the term worship is singing songs, the music. In Psalm 149, verse 3, the psalmist says, Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 5, it says, Then David And all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, firwoods, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. In 1 Chronicles 13.8 it says, Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all of their might. And that's usually the way the drummers are anyway, with all of their might. Singing on harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets, worshiping and singing and playing music unto God. Again, First Chronicles 15, verse 16, Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals, by raising the voice with, get this, resounding joy. So worship does involve singing praises to God, and it's been that way for centuries. Stringed instruments. We have a couple right here. Same thing. Symbols. We have amplification for, for voices so we can, we can hear. 
This is a part of what God has ordained, that we worship him, that we sing unto him. So with musical instruments and singing with resounding joy, the people of God have worshiped the Lord since the beginning. See, we thank God through our praise. And we most importantly turn our attention to God when we worship him. Because, let's face it, we come into church, we're carrying the weight of the world with us and the problems of this past week and the things that have discouraged us and, 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 and tripped us up. Maybe it's been sin or, 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 or difficulty, whatever it might be. And we come to this house and it's like, oh man, I'm home. Welcome home. I can worship the Lord and I automatically start to shift my focus off of the things of the world and onto the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 19, it says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites okay, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Loud and high, not quiet and low. Loud and high, not quiet and low. Our God is greater. Our God is strong. No, it's like, sing, lift up your voice, shout to the Lord. Well, I don't sing so good. Well, neither do I, but let's go for it. You know, like we're not singing for me. I'm not singing for the person next to me. I'm singing unto the Lord. And so if you come in here and we have the music on and there's stringed instruments and people singing and you're singing loud, we're not going to come over and be like, hey, buddy, um, can you like keep it down a little bit? Can you like stop singing so loud? Not, it's not going to happen. I mean, obviously, if uh, you're singing louder than the microphone, then that might be one thing where we got to turn the mic up a little bit. But what happens is if we all singing together, we're all singing together, lifting up our voices. That's why we try to keep the volume a little bit higher. And you're like, yeah, tell me about it. I sit right in the front. Well, no, the volume higher means that people are less inclined to be embarrassed or timid about singing. Loud and high, not quiet and low. Psalm 66, verse 1, to the chief musician, a song, a psalm. Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Lifting up your voice. Yes, worship involves song. But one of the things we need to address this morning on the subject of worshiping the Lord through giving praise is that worship is not to us or for us. It is for the Lord. The people that are even on stage singing are not singing to you or for you. They are singing unto the Lord. They are leading praises unto God. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 115 verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. So worship is not set up through giving praise It's not set up to satisfy our needs, but rather to express the worthiness of God. So worship through giving praise is not set up to satisfy our needs, but rather to express the the worthiness of God. Romans 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So we worship the Lord through singing. It is not for us. It is not for me. It is for the Lord. 
We come in and think, man, what are you going to offer me? And what kind of song selection do you have for me today? I'm not really getting it or whatever. Listen, this is for the Lord. So under our, our third point, how do we worship? We worship letter A through giving praise. Secondly, letter B, we worship the Lord through giving financially. This is part of our worship unto the Lord. Now, in a world that would say, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. This is completely counterculture. See, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So part of how we as Christians worship the Lord is through giving praise, but also through giving financially. Now, remember what I mentioned earlier. This, is, I feel like, is very key. I look and I see. I'm driven towards. I worship. I serve. But then I find out that the unfortunate truth of worshiping something or someone other than God is that I'll always be empty. I will always need more, and I will never have enough. And maybe right now you're like, amen, brother. You can never have enough money. This guy's preaching truth up there. Word. What? No, well, the richest men in the world believed that they didn't have enough money. And Jay, back in the day, J.D. Rockefeller was asked in an interview, and I quote, how much money is enough money? End of quote. He replied, and I quote, just a little bit more. End of quote. See, now you can understand what the psalmist said and what he meant in Psalm 115, verse 4, where he says, their idols are silver and gold. What they worship is money. And so, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, the Lord says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as it is today. That everything that is happening in our life is because of God, His provision. And that's why in Romans eleven thirty six, Paul writes and says, For everything comes from God and exists by His glory and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. New Living Translation says, On the first day of each week, you should, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. So God said to honor him financially with the first fruits of our increase, not the leftovers, not the roadkill that we see by the road. You know, as you would go to offer something to the Lord, they'd be like, oh, hey, you see that animal over there? Let's grab that and offer that to the Lord. There, done. David said in 1 Samuel 24, 24, I'll paraphrase this, but he said that he wouldn't offer to the Lord something that had not cost him anything. So we worship the Lord through praise. We also worship the Lord through giving. When we give, it stirs up thankfulness. See, when we worship the Lord through giving financially, we are reminded that all things come from God, and it is technically from his hand that we give back to him. Lord, you have blessed me so much. You have given me all of these resources, and out of your hand, I'm giving back to you. So when we worship the Lord through giving, it stirs up thankfulness. Secondly, it stirs up generosity. Giving financially stirs up generosity in our hearts, offering our sacrifice 
to the Lord stirs up generosity in our hearts. And I have to tell you this, that nothing breaks the back of greed like giving unto the Lord. Giving unto the Lord. In Acts 20, verse 35, Paul will be there in a moment, in a few weeks actually, and remember the words, Paul says, Acts 20, verse 35, of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, a lot of times in churches today, you have people that have done so many crazy, off-the-wall, unbiblical things. The, the reaction is to completely swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side. Now, we believe that we should have a biblical worldview. If somebody says that they're a Christian but are not living Christ-like or living a life based upon biblical truths, then we would write them off as, you know what, that's not as Christ, that is not biblical, so we're not going to do that. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. So just because there's some kooky people out there doesn't mean we ignore what God has established the laws that he has established in this universe. Now, some of the spiritual laws God has created are seemingly paradoxical. Let me list off four of them for you. Lose your life to find it. Matthew 10, verse 39. Hate your life to keep it. John 12, 25. Humble yourself to be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. And then fourthly, give away and you will receive. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said... Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So this is a concept that we don't really talk about in church today. This concept of worshiping God through giving. This is, the Lord says, you give, and it will give it, be given back to you. But not only that, it'll be stuffed in, it'll be packed down, and it'll be ready for more. And the amount that you give is the, will determine the amount you get back. In Malachi 3.10, guys, listen to this. This is one of the craziest things. God says, bring all the tithes. This is where we get our, our, our word tenth, like give a tenth or give a tithe. Uh, that's where that 10%, you know, comes in into Christian culture. Give a tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, this isn't some money-crazed organization saying this. This is the Word of God telling us, His people, that you test me. You see if you can outgive me. You see. Part of how we praise God is through giving financially. And we see that when we give financially and we honor the Lord in our finances, that blessings come from that. So not only does giving financially cause us to be thankful and stir up thanksgiving in our hearts because we acknowledge that, God, you've given me all of these things. Not only does it break the back of greed with generosity, but I'm also investing in the kingdom of God, an everlasting kingdom. Great story when David was setting up his son Solomon for the building of the temple. As you know, David could not build it, but he set everything up for his son Solomon too. First Chronicles 29.12 through 17. This is what David says. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. 
Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all of this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. See, the heart that says, let's worship God, but let's do it as quickly and as conveniently and as cheaply and effortlessly as possible, don't understand the very essence of true worship. God never accepted leftovers, and he will not accept anything less than our best. When we give unto the Lord, we're investing in an internal investment. Listen to this. Psalm 145, 13 says, For your kingdom, O Lord, is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. In 1 Chronicles 16, 29, it says, Give to the Lord the glory due his name. So that's the praise. And then it says, Bring an offering. That's our gift. And then come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So give the Lord the glory. Bring your offering. May we be rejoicing that we have something to give instead of not rejoicing that we have something to give. Worship him through holiness. So, we see that, you know, how do we worship the Lord? We worship the Lord through giving praise. Then we see that we worship the Lord through giving financially. That that's part of what we do is our commitment and praise to the Lord. We see how it stirs up thanksgiving and generosity. We see how we're investing in a kingdom of God that lasts forever. And even as Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Well, where rust and, and, and moth destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that I'm focused on are the things of God. His will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Worshiping the Lord through holiness. You know what's great is when you store up treasures in heaven, you're not going to get there and Peter meets you at the door and says, sorry, man, we had a break-in last night. All your treasures are gone, man. I'm so sorry. All that you invested in with the kingdom of God is just all gone. Sorry. Poof. Gone. It's not going to happen. Because it's an eternal kingdom and it's an investment that's an eternal thing. And more than that, it's a matter of our hearts. Because say, God forbid, you tithe and you give unto the Lord as part of your praise. And then, so the money's gone and you're giving unto the Lord. You're not giving to an organization. You're not giving to a people group. You're giving unto the Lord because that's part of your praise to the Lord. And then the money gets lost or it gets stolen. And God says, sorry, you know, in our accounting books here, we didn't see you put down that, uh, that, that offering because uh, it never made it to the bank. Sorry. No, that's not the case at all. It's your heart. It's a part of worshiping unto the Lord, and you're doing it unto the Lord, and then the Lord will reward you for that. Thirdly, we see we worship the Lord. Remember, 
We worship the Lord through praise. We worship the Lord through giving. And now we worship the Lord through giving your life. We give praise. We give finances. But even most importantly, we worship the Lord, letter C, by giving our lives. See, through worshiping the Lord through singing, uh, though worshiping the Lord, rather, uh, through singing is only a part of our worship to God. Unfortunately, our scope of worship is limited to the 30 minutes or so on a Sunday. You know, I worship the Lord from 10.30 to 11 o'clock on Sunday. I, I lifted up my voice and I sang. See, worship is more than a song. Worship is more than giving financially. Worship is a lifestyle. Committing your life to be lived for the glory of God is where your purpose and your meaning in life will reach its highest level of fulfillment. See, worship is a selfless act. And it is at the place of giving selflessly our lives that we have the most genuine worship experience with God, just the way he created it to be. Submit your life to Christ. Worship. What is worship? Why do we worship? Whom do we worship? All of these things factor into this question right now. Why worship? Why worship? Because we're going to worship something or someone. And if it's not the true and living God, then it's going to be focused somewhere else. Because I look and I see and I move towards and I and I worship and I serve that which I worship. Give your life. We've seen what is worship, whom do we worship, how do we worship. Fourthly and finally this morning, why worship? Why? Well, letter A is we were created to worship. You were created to worship. As I mentioned, it's intrinsic. It's inside the very nature of our being. In Psalm 100, verses 2 through 5, it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Amen. We're doing that today. Are we not? Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. We're made to worship. Guys, We will be led astray and we will invest our time and our resources, our energy, our lives to the pursuit of something. We need to make sure that we're pursuing God. Holiness, righteousness, that we're living a life that is by the book. Because if you're not living a Christian life by what the Bible says, then we would be classified, unfortunately, as what is called a cultural Christian which means I kind of live my life with Christ based upon what other people around me are doing. You either live by the book or you don't. We're made to worship. He created us for his good pleasure so that we might know him, that we might live a life. Test, Lord, I trust your word. Lord, I know you're true. Lord, I'm going to sing my praises. I'm going to give my finances. I'm going to live my life for your glory more than the 30-minute worship session, more than the 90-minute Sunday morning service. I'm going to live my life to bring glory to you. So why worship? Well, we were created to worship. We need to make sure we're worshiping the one and true living God. Letter B, 
Why worship? Well, because it's God's will. It's God's will. I mean, if that doesn't take the cake for us as Christians, I don't know what will. In Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you've ever wondered, Lord, what's, what's your will? Well, it says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If that doesn't encapsulate everything that we just talked about, I don't know what will. It's biblical to do the things that we've been studying about how we have these different conduits of worshiping God. It's His will. John MacArthur said, he was a pastor and author, and I quote, he said, that consuming, selfless desire to give to God is the essence and the heart of worship. It begins with the giving first of ourselves, and then our attitudes, and then our possessions, until worship is a way of life. End of quote. People talk about possessions, and there's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things or money in the account. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Billy Graham said there's nothing wrong with Christians owning possessions. The problem is is when possessions own Christians. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So whether we're giving financially, we're giving praise, giving our life, it's our choice to make. No one's going to force you to follow the Lord. No one's going to force you to give financially. No one's going to force you to sing. That's something that you have to choose to do. That's something that you have to do, hopefully, the Lord says, cheerfully and willfully, because he is asking you to, he is calling to to you to do so. I think it begs the statement at the end of our race as Christians, we won't be asking questions such as, did I enjoy it or did I get anything out of it? We'll be asking the question, did I contribute enough to what God was doing? Was I involved with what the Lord was doing? Was I worshiping him as a lifestyle, as a practice? Was it an outflow of who he created me to be, a worshiper of him. So we asked the question, why worship? And we said, well, because we're created to worship. Then we said, because it's God's will for us to worship him. And then letter C, finally, as we close. Why worship? Because we will, whether we like it or not. In Philippians 2, verse 10, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So whether we like it or not, we will one day, even if we spend our entire lifetime worshiping false gods and other things that were not meant to be worshipped, that The fact of the matter, God created those things, and so people start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. You spend your whole lifetime doing that, you will ultimately, willfully or not willfully, bend your knee 
and worship Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. So I want to be on the team that is already on the winning team. Lord, I worship you. This is my life. It's given unto you, my sacrifice of praise, everything, Lord, that your, bio, that your Bible, your word says, I do. It's a part of my life. I'll never forget, and I'll close with a story. I was doing Monday nights at Calvary Costa Mesa, and a guy got saved, and he said, I had the craziest dream. He was a new Christian, so he didn't really know all the Christianese yet, and he said there was this main dude, and he came down out of heaven, and he landed, and there were all these armies everywhere. And all of a sudden, I started to hear things breaking like crazy and people crying out like two-by-fours were being broken half. And all these people were made to bow to this main guy. He said, main dude, we're, mean no disrespect to Jesus, but he was a new Christian. We know that is Jesus. And that people were made to bow willfully, the way the knee bends, or unwillfully, the way it doesn't bend. But either way, we know that we will worship the one true and living God and acknowledge him for who he truly is. And so may we today purpose in our hearts to live a lifestyle of worshiping God. Not clock in and clock out, but every day participating in giving glory to God by the way we live our lives. Honor him and he will honor you. He honors his word. You live by it. You might even say, Lord, we're going to test this out. He says, test me and see if I don't take care of every single thing. So don't just take my word for it. Take a look. It's in a book. Man, I sound like the reading rainbow guy. Wait a second. So uh, look at what the word of God says. <laughs> look what the word of God says. Read it for yourself. And may we live lifestyles of worship.